All right. If you wouldn't mind returning back to your seat, and let's all stand together for our scripture reading. If you want to follow along, we're going to read directly out of Luke 2, verses 4 through 14. I'm excited about the Christmas season. I still get just like a little kid. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. You may be seated now. Thank you, Steve. Good morning. I'm not used to being in this room so early. How about you? But we made it, right? How many of you had a little bit of a challenge this morning getting here? Circumstances, uncooperative people, sleep, you know, things like that. Um, Yeah, some of you are like, no, it wasn't me. It was her, you know. Um, I'm David Martin, and uh, I have the honor of being able to open up this passage and sharing it with you guys today. And in typical form, I always write more sermon than I've got time for. So pray that I will speak very quickly and not go on a tangent. Um, Tis the season, right? We've heard this phrase before. It's on banners. If you go to any retail outlet, you can like see it on advertising. It says tis the season and it's like an advertisement for toilet paper underneath, you know? I mean, it's just, it's it, tis the season. Like what does that really mean? And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk specifically about peace. How many of y'all could use peace in your life today personally? I want to open up with this passage. It's going to serve as really the anchor for this whole sermon that I'm going to share with you. It's in Romans 15, 13. It says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So with that verse in mind, going back to this whole tis the season, I don't know about you, but my wife and I and my little one, we, uh, we went to Target recently. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. It's just like how it's, the mood changes. Like parking lots get weird. People get ugly. Have you noticed that? Like right around the time of Christmas, like trying to find a space where someone would let you in, they put their blinker on ahead of you, you know, and there's like this territorial primal, you know, Lord of the Flies kind of thing that starts taking place the closer we get to the 25th of December. And, and it's just crazy. And then you get inside and you see all of these things that you can buy. And there's, I mean, my wife and I were looking at our budget compared to what it is that, you know, we're wanting to buy for our children and those in our family. 
and it's just, it gets stressful. Joe touched on that a little bit. And then, I mean, here's the thing. You watch them on television. There's always this one item that they produce three of that about three million children want for Christmas. You know what I'm talking about, right? I remember when that whole phenomenon started. It was in the early 80s, and I'm 45. So uh, in the early 80s when I was a kid, and I remember the Cabbage Patch doll. How many of y'all remember that chaos, that ugly, sinful-looking doll, right? And I'm telling you, people were clawing each other's eyes out to get this chubby plastic doll like it was a thing. And ever since then, it's a tickle me this, it's a tickle me that. And then you see like this 2016, you see people wrestling people down for the tickle me Justin Bieber doll. It's bizarre. Tis the season. To top it off, you finally get there, you finally get the items, you get them wrapped, you take them to the relative's house, and then there's the creepy uncle you got to deal with, you know? It's just weird. Christmas cards. Some of you have written Christmas cards and sent them to people you don't even like. And instead of licking the envelope, you spit on it and then send it, you know? Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. There's great things about Christmas, though. And I think this is one of them. What we're doing in this room right now, pausing to remember that he's good. And as I think about Christmas, I think especially after the season we just went through as a country, so divided, you think about just the riots in the streets that we saw this past year and the division and the, and the race uh, wars and, and just, I mean, politically and just everything across the board. It seems like we've just been divided. And as I was thinking and praying through the sermon, I really felt like God put upon my heart that really what we need more than a Tickle Me Justin Bieber doll, if there is such a thing, is peace. We need peace. And so we're going to find the answer to this question. What is true peace and how can we either find it or reclaim it for our lives? So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, you are peace. Your son is the prince of peace. And so God, I'm, I'm just praying that you would just make me transparent. And I pray that Father, your word and your son would be reflected. And I pray that you would fill my mouth with your words And that I would just be faithful to communicate what is on your heart for your children and those in here whom you love, which is everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 2. If you don't, you'll see it on the screen. We have all the passages there. But Luke chapter 2 is like the quintessential Christmas passage, isn't it? Um, If you don't know much about how Luke came about, Luke is a doctor, So he's a very analytical type of thinker. He's not a very subjective guy. He knows science. And so he's been hired by this government official by the name of Theophilus. And he says, I want you to write a research paper. And I want you to be able to qualify and quantify and authenticate the narrative that has been taking place about this man named Jesus. So he hires this doctor who's analytical, who's able to put all the facts in order and present this research paper. He's hired to do this, to put this together. And so in Luke's research and findings, Luke chapter 2 is written. And what we're going to do is we're going to start in verse 13, and I'll read verse 13 for you, but I want you to read verse 14 out loud with me, okay? Now, don't mumble it, okay? That's so lame when people do that. So let's, let's seriously capture the emotion of verse 14. 
So here we go. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, a new life Manitou, what did they say? Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. That was really well done. That was good. This is a good house this morning, Joe. Most of us have familiar, familiarity with this passage, and, and part of the reason why is because I discovered this passage under the teaching of a phenomenal theologian who was really prominent, most prominent in the late 60s, early 70s, 70s. His name is Linus from Charlie Brown. And uh, if that was the first time I really kind of heard this passage, you know, uh, Luke chapter 2, and if you missed it, Linus, spoiler alert, at the end of the Christmas, Charlie Brown Christmas, he stands and all the Christmas, the little ratty Christmas tree and all this business is Snoopy. He's got his stuff all decorated. And then it's just the lone spotlight. And they were shepherds in the field. I don't know where he got that accent from, but it's so powerful. And actually, because of that, our children today are learning the King James, the Linus version of the passage in there in the class this morning. But basically what has taken place is this. Joseph has to go back to Bethlehem because Mary is pregnant and about to give birth, but there's also a census taking place. And so they're traveling with, she's traveling with Joseph to Bethlehem and because everyone in that region had to return back to the original town of their ancestors. And Joseph, Jesus's earthly father, was a descendant of King David okay, whose ancestral roots are found in Bethlehem. Well, Jesus's mother, Mary, is also a descendant of King David. And so what you see is the bloodline of Christ intersecting perfectly as prophesied in Jeremiah 23, 5. And Jesus is about to be born in Bethlehem, the hometown of King David, his ancestor. You see something coming together here. And so we see these manger scenes in the front of people's yards and on Christmas cards, but these depictions are actually inspired in part by Luke 7, or Luke verse 7 in Luke chapter 2, where it explains that while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And so you're like, yeah, Dave, we know. We, we see where this sermon is going. No, you don't. You have no clue. Hang tight. <laughs> the angel of the Lord appears. Okay, and announces the birth of the Son of God, Jesus, the Messiah, is being proclaimed and announced. And they begin to praise God, and they said, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is most pleased. And so this takes us back to this question. What kind of peace did Jesus actually come to bring us, and how in the world can we have it? I ask that because, like I mentioned, does our world look peaceful to you? When you have some of the most evil things you've ever seen in your lifetime taking place, and it's in our Facebook feeds now, people being beheaded, tortured, crucified, race division, people, brother turning against brother, parent against child. I mean, it's such a divided, un peaceful place to live. So what is this peace on earth that is being declared and proclaimed when we see so little of it in 2016? Our world needs peace. Our lives, our souls need peace. What kind of peace do you need this morning in your life? Well, a big part of the answer as far as what type of peace 
that's being discussed here actually was prophesied hundreds of years before in Isaiah where it says this, for a child is born to us, a son given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David, for all of eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Prophesied hundreds of years before this little baby ever showed up in Bethlehem. There's something, there's peace, and peace matters to God, and he wants us to have it. So what we see here is God is passionately committed to your peace. And what we see is that peace is not necessarily, though, watching a sunset at the beach or watching Game of Thrones uninterrupted, okay? That may be peaceful, but that's not really the peace that the Bible is talking about here that Jesus came to bring. What scripture is saying is that if you want to experience real peace, we have to first understand something. And this is a controversial statement, but this is the only truth that I know, guys. Peace is a person, and that person is Jesus. And to have peace is to personally know Jesus, not a fan not someone who just admires a, a, a man who's got good teaching. And yeah, no, 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 you got to know Jesus. Because to know him is to know peace. The word peace in Luke, the way that Luke is writing it here in his research paper, is a word in Greek pronounced Irene, okay? And it, what it means, it means to join and tie together into a whole. The Greek interpretation can also be interpreted into the absence of war. So you have these two different facets to this word peace, the way that Luke is using it here. So it's either to tie or join together or the absence of war. And so this baby in Luke chapter two grows up to say this though. Now here's where we're going to take a weird left turn because Jesus grows up, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And then he says, hey, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to earth. Is that a misprint? He says, no, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. So what were the angels talking about and what is Jesus referencing here? Because it seems like there's a contradiction taking place. How does this match up with peace on earth that we see on Christmas cards? What we have to understand is Jesus came to bring peace by ending a war. The Prince of Peace came to war against the very thing that has stolen our peace. You see, peace is not passive here. You have to fight for peace. Peace is a gift, and it had been stolen from humanity. Why? It's simple. What steals our peace is our selfishness and our sin. If you look at the wounds on your heart in your life this morning, it's because someone has chosen to be selfish. The wounds that you've inflicted on other people are because you've been selfish. And that disrupts the flow of peace that God would want mankind to be able to have. And so it's our sin. It's our selfishness. And so this baby in this manger grows up to bring war. He comes to bring war against darkness because it's our darkness that has made this world so fractured, so messed up, so jacked up and painful. 
And in order to afford for us, though, Jesus realizing that we can't produce our own peace. We're terrible at it. As a matter of fact, we're on the other side of peace. We are warring against the very prince of peace. And as born enemies of God is what we are. And we're born enemies. We're prisoners of our own sin. And the opportunity to make peace with God for us is impossible apart from the shed blood of this little baby that will grow up to be a man and pour it out for the sake of peace so that you could have peace with God. Getting this kind of peace is a very disturbing, bloody, painful picture. This kind of peace is expensive. And Jesus lays down his life, guys. And here's the thing. You, depending on where you're at, some of you have received peace with God. Others haven't. And we can't have peace, though, if we're warring against the Prince of Peace. So that's why it's one thing to be a fan of Jesus. It's another thing to submit to this gift of peace. Because the Bible says... You were born an enemy against God, but while you were still his enemy, Jesus died for you so that you may have the gift of peace. You can't have peace if you're warring against the Prince of Peace. Now you go, wow, what a bummer Christian or Christmas message this is. Dude, you're harsh. But we have to understand why Luke is writing Luke chapter 2, and why Luke chapter 2 is such a big deal to the world. Because the angels are celebrating Jesus' birth. They're like, yes, there's hope for mankind. Because in Romans 5, Romans 5, we're told our hopeless condition has no hope. There is no peace. There is no life. And the angels know what Jesus is coming here to do. That's why they're saying, glory to God. There is peace coming, but it's going to come through Jesus at a very high cost. You see, Romans 5.10 says, for since our friendship with God was restored, look what it says, restored by the death of his son, when? While we were still his enemies. You're born with this condition. Doesn't matter how you try to wrap yourself and how nice and mannerly you are to other people. You may be a good person, but you're still at war with God. That's where we start. We're enemies of God. We're not entitled. We're not that great. It's when we fall into this deception that we're good enough, you're still a really good enemy of God. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice. We can join the angels in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Peace on earth on whom God favors. You were blessed and highly favored for those who say please and thank you. We have made peace with God through Jesus Christ. This is why it's called the good news. This is really, really good news. And the angels knew it. And that's why they were declaring in the heavens, glory to God. Peace is coming to earth because there's nothing but enemies of God here. Jesus came to bring us peace through himself so that we could be made Irene. We could be made whole. The absence of war. We're one with the Father. We're now friends, no longer enemies in God's eyes. My question for you is this. What side, could you put Romans 5 back up there one more time and look at that verse, and I'm going to ask you a question only you can answer. Which side of Romans 5 are you on? 
because the room is split up between two different people, enemies and friends. Jesus is the one that transfers us. And and because of that, because of his blood, our spiritual DNA has been changed. And not only has Jesus made a way for us to have peace with God, but now we can have his presence living within us. And when the Prince of Peace establishes his homes in our hearts, his peace is manifested and it gets given to us by the Holy Spirit. So when we receive this peace, he gives himself. Now his very presence lives within you because you're no longer at war. You're one with him. And in Galatians 5.22 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. So you can see the manifestation of the fruit of the Holy Spirit under submission to him in our lives. And this is how you could tell. Do you have love? Is there any joy in your life? Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? There's no law against these things. The Bible is saying Produce as much fruit as you want in these areas. Let the Holy Spirit do it. There's never a stopping point. There's no law against these wonderful things produced in us. Why? Because there's still those in our lives who are at war with God. You work with people. We live next door to people. They don't even know. They're wonderful folks, man. I love them dearly with all my heart. But here's the thing. They need to understand Through the fruit of the Spirit, are we kind? Are we loving? Are we patient with people? Are we joyful? Are we sharing these fruits with others so that they can see the beauty of Christ within us so they can go, hold on. You mean to tell me I'm an enemy of God? I want what you've got. How do I get that? Oh, let me introduce you to the Prince of Peace. You see, here's the thing. Sometimes we operate under this idea that we have to produce our own peace. Like, like I'm a Seinfeld fan. Joe and I both actually are. I just outed him. Uh, I got a I clap for Seinfeld, but not anything else. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, but there is this point in one of the Seinfeld episodes where George's dad is going, serenity now! You know what I'm talking about? One of the best, one of the best episodes ever. You can't produce peace that way. You can't wake up and go, I just want to knock my husband's head off. I just want to yell at my child's teacher. I want to, you know, all these things were, but no, I'm going to choose peace today. I'm going to try really hard to have peace. I need peace. It doesn't work like that because peace is a gift. Peace can't be earned. It is in fact a gift. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said it. He said, I am leaving you with a gift Peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give. So if you're looking for real peace, the kind of the peace that God can give, you're not going to find it in a sunset. You're not going to find it in someone texting you, I love you. As nice as these things are, there's only one place. It comes from God, and it's a gift. So don't be troubled or afraid, because Jesus is saying you're going to live in a jacked up world. You're going to live in a world that will try to steal your peace. But understand, if you look to me as the gift giver of peace, I will give you the gift, and the world can't give it to you. It's my special gift from me to you. Romans 5 says, therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. So what I would tell you is only the God of peace can give you the peace of God. Only God. It's a gift. My daughter, last year, Sarah and I, who's the worship leader up here, the beautiful hot redhead, she's mine, and we've been married for 21 years, and I love her to death. 
Um, but last year we had the good sense to give our daughter a Walmart catalog, okay? And I don't know what we were thinking, but we gave her a pen and said, hey, you could circle whatever you want. Doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get it, but it gives us an idea. She circled like 75% of the catalog, okay? It would have been like a $19,000 Christmas if I bought her everything that she circled. I'm like, honey, why do you need a drone? You're six. You know what I mean? Give me a break. But we all have this wish list, don't we, for Christmas? we got these things in our back of our mind. Wouldn't it be nice if... But can I tell you something and just sound like an old Baptist preacher right now, so forgive me, but the devil has a Christmas list. And you're like, oh, okay, see, I knew his theology was jacked up. Here we go. No, listen, not that he wants peace with God, but he wants peace, your peace. He wants to steal the gift that God has given you. And I say that because I know it's a little cheesy, but the truth still stands because some of you are sitting in here and you don't have any peace at all. And you haven't had it for a long time. So something's happened. Because if God has given you this gift and it's no longer there, what happened? It's been stolen from you. We haven't guarded this peace. It could be taken from us. And Jesus explains that there is in fact a devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And a lot of times we think death, physical death, jumping off a cliff by, you know, falling off a cliff by accident, drinking poison. No, he doesn't mind just stealing your peace. He'll let you live. But he can take your joy. If he can take the peace that Jesus died to give you, if he can start robbing you of these gifts that Jesus says that I gave, I've given it to you, I've shed my blood so that you may have peace and it's no longer there, it's because we have not guarded it and regarded it for what it is. It's not an entitlement, it's a gift. And when we mistreat this gift, or we missteward it, or we don't protect it, and we don't have the wisdom and foresight to see what is happening when it's starting to leave our lives, that's on us. The enemy would love to steal the gifts that you've been given. So now it's time to get practical. Because we gotta walk out of this door here in a couple of minutes. And I'm doing really good on time, Joe. You, You proud of me? Thank you. Let me share a couple of quick things that in my life have stole my peace. And maybe the shoe will fit for you guys. One of the first enemies of our peace is our own thoughts. What goes on in my little bald head can so quickly derail and allow my gift of peace to leave. What I mean by this is scripture also brings this up. It says, so let your sinful nature, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and what? So there is a direct connection in what we think and our level of peace in our lives. Let me give you an example. You know that verse, uh, 2 Corinthians says, we're supposed to capture all of our rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Um, I'm an analytical guy, so I like Luke. And there are times where I'll be driving or I'm in the shower and my, my brain is just going somewhere else, you know? And then out of nowhere, you'll have this hypothetical argument come into your brain. You know what I'm talking about? For example, like all of a sudden you're like, oh, if my boss ever said this to me, This is what I say back, right? Yeah, yeah, I can tell by the laughter. I won't get anybody to raise their hands and say, that's me, but I, yeah. Ooh, if she ever said that to me, 
oh, this is exactly what I'd say back. And then we start getting ticked off and our blood pressure starts going up and we start having these hypothetical arguments. They've never happened in real life, but in our mind we're driving and now we're starting to cut people off because man, they're right. And we start getting really, really wound up. And then, I mean, seriously, guys, I'm not joking. In my life, I've been on the highway just sitting there and just stewing on these things that have never happened before. And I'm mad now. I'm ticked. And you could drive by and you could see my head swiveling. I'm like, someone hold my earrings. I'm oh, I'm so mad. And I want to get home. And then I'm argumentative with my spouse. And she's like, hey, honey, I made dinner. Oh, mm-hmm, yeah. What do you mean by that? Right? And we're just in this argumentative tone. What's happened? The devil says, look over here. And we go, yeah. And he takes our peace. We just let it go right out. Really practical stuff. Maybe that's not you, but that certainly is me, man. The problem is, is that when we allow our thoughts to go unchecked and we don't make them submitted to God, guys, there is no peace on earth in our lives. And then we're arguing with our family and we're being impatient with our children and it's all you. It's not them. We're the problem. Okay, let's try this on for size. Maybe you're not that person. Maybe you're not warped like I am, but maybe here's another one. Have you ever had a thought go through your head and like, what if that happened? What about this? Oh my gosh, what would happen if... Have you noticed that there's never a good finish to those questions? It's always something terrible and tragic, right? What if I'm driving my car and all four wheels fall off at the same time, right? It's always down. It's never like, what if I just have the best, most awesome day ever? We never think like that. And then all of a sudden, these fears start coming into our minds and our hearts, and we go, oh, my gosh. I would be devastated if that happened. Oh, my gosh, if my spouse did that to me what if this happened to my kid? And then we're just so racked with fear. The devil is saying, hey, check it out. Look over here. Thank you very much. So easy to rip us off. So easy. Legitimate concerns. The enemy knows what you're concerned about. He knows what your fears are. So if your fear is losing your job, guess guess what the thing is that he's going to bring up to you? Losing your job. If your fear is that you're not going to be loved by your spouse like the way you want to, or they're going to leave you, guess what you, guess, he'll go, huh, see, notice that? And you go, oh no, what if that happens? Peace is gone. Finances, doesn't matter what it is. But Jesus says this. He says, listen, there's a better way to approach your fears. There's a better way to approach these moments when we're tempted to take the bait in John 16, Jesus says, listen, I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. He says, listen, here on earth, you're going to have many trials and many sorrows. Jesus is saying this world is messed up and you're in it. And I realize that. However, you can have peace in me because I'm the peace giver. Take heart. Take heart. When you enter into these hard seasons, when you enter into moments of fear, when you enter into moments of uncertainty that is stealing your peace, oh, take heart, because I've overcome this nasty world, this divided, jacked-up world. I've already overcome it by the power of the cross and my resurrection. I live in you. I've got this. Take heart. I'm the prince of peace. I've got it. Second enemy of your peace is self-reliance. We live in a Pinterest society. 
And if you're not familiar with Pinterest, it's really run by these other life forms sent from another galaxy who have the capacity to make things look awesome. Like, they will deceive you into believing that you could build like a nine-story gingerbread house. But then when you're done with it, it looks like a dead whale with like, you know, candy canes harpooned in it. You know, you're like, it doesn't match. Isn't this the weirdest thing? Pinterest is awesome, though. But here's the thing to coming to having peace. There is no such thing as a Pinterest peace. There is no such thing as a do-it-yourself kind of peace. You can't create peace on your own. We're just not good at creating peace like God can. So when we try to become so self-sufficient and we try to control every single circumstance and we try to manage variables, we become these control freaks in in the hopes of creating peace. We never succeed though. Because we're trying to do something that only God can do. And we're trying to create a gift that we don't need from him. But Jesus says in John 6, 63, he says, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. So give it up. There is a savior and you're not him. Isn't that great news? So if you're struggling to find peace in this season, could it be that possibly another area is busyness? So if it's not your thoughts, what Jesus says is there's a direct connection, and if it's not self-reliance, which is another word for, another term for self-righteousness, right? Um, what about busyness? Some of you know that I travel a lot, and, I, and one of the first things that I hear from a lot of you is, Dave, how's your, man, you just travel so much, you're gone all the time. You're busy. And you know what? In some circles, this is actually celebrated. The more busy we are, the more somehow valuable we are. You mean, how are things going? Oh, things are so busy. Oh, well, good. That sounds great. Busyness is awesome. Our pastor at New Life, the main, he's got a book called Addicted to Busy. That doesn't sound positive to me. I think he's probably saying, stop it. Because your peace is being stolen. Here's the thing. We think busyness is a bad thing. You can fill your calendar up with good things. As a guy in ministry, you can literally spend every night of the week and every day of the week doing the Lord's work, and you have no peace. Oh, but you're doing a bunch of good stuff, though. You see, the enemy, he doesn't mind. He knows that you're trying to satisfy a need. You don't want to be at home. You don't have to deal with your spouse. You're trying to run from something, and so you, do it at, you live at the church. You do a bunch of good stuff for God, but you have no peace. What if the anecdote to rediscovering our peace for those who are a bunch of busy bees in here is to take Psalm 4610 seriously. And it's two words that I'm going to focus on is this. Be still. God doesn't need you to do anything for him. He invites us into his work, but he's not up there biting his nails, hoping that you get all your tasks done for him. He's God. He's got it. He says, I'd rather you be still and know that I'm God. I'm God. So when I find my peace missing, I've learned personally, an enemy to it could be a stacked schedule. So as we finish up here, legitimately, normally I say that and that means another 15 minutes, but really I'm finishing up. The last thing that I would bring up that steals peace from me in my life I don't know about you, is shame and regret. Golly, man. Guys, I've been through seasons where I've been absolutely wrong, knowingly sinful. 
choosing to make really bad decisions. How many of y'all have woken up in the morning and that's the first thing that hits your mind and heart? And the enemy has no problems stepping in and saying, good morning, you loser. Good morning, you pervert. Good morning, you fake. Good morning, you're worthless. And he has no problem even bringing up the highlight reel of people who, other people in, who've spoken that into your life, even from the time you were a kid. You hear something you hadn't thought of 20 years, and you wake up in the morning, you, or, the, or the thing that the, the group of boys called you in seventh grade, or the thing that the group of girls called you in junior high, whatever it is, we begin to go, oh, I am those things. Oh, and it's true. I have actually done the very things that they called me. I am those things. And guys, the peace is gone. And so we, our feet hit the floor of our bedrooms and we're already defeated for the day. There's no peace. And when there's no peace in us, guys, we're sure to bring that virus to those around us. For some in here, shame and regret is the thing. And let me tell you something. I've walked in those shoes for some in here, maybe it's the best year ever for you. But for the rest of us, maybe there's some things that we wish we could do over. How many of you could use a do-over in your life in some area or another, right? <sighs> this season has a way of causing us to reflect and look back on our, the past year. And yet there's some good things that's happened. I'm not trying to paint a bad picture. But there's also some things that we really are, we can't get past if you're not careful, you will drag these things into 2017, and it's going to be a repeat. It's going to be a 2.0, unless we understand that shame and guilt have no place in a Christian's life, not but because we're better than that, but because Jesus is better than that. You see, these feelings can be debilitating, and, and let me tell you, let me just tell you something. The grace of God, what Jesus came when we were enemies of God, why were we enemies? Because we were selfish and sinful. We have every right apart from Jesus to feel shameful and guilty. But Jesus came to wipe the record of wrongs against us away. The price has been paid. When Jesus says, it is finished, he declared that over the worst thing that you're fearful and regretful and shameful about. He's saying, that's finished. Price is paid. My blood has covered it. Welcome to my gift of peace. I don't deserve that. Yeah, that's right, you don't. That's why it's a gift. Can I just say that God is bigger than your past, your failures, your sin? Let me tell you something. Jesus did not fight for our peace for us to feel like we're still at war with him. We don't, we're not at war with Jesus. Lay down your arms. Lay down your pride. And understand that Jesus has fought this war. Your Irene, your peace is on the line. And when you embrace Philippians 3, I'll say this. Preach this to yourself for those who are struggling with shame and guilt this morning, stealing your peace. You go, maybe there's a new way to think. I haven't achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forget the past and look forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race, to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. This is your purpose. This is your destiny. Peace is your companion. 
When we go, we have permission to forget the past, God's written it in black and white for us. He's saying, get over it. It's finished. you got work to do. I've got peace to restore in your life. Let it go. Today in this moment, if the enemies are shame and regret and they've stolen your peace, I want to, be, I want to remind you of this one more truth. God is sheer mercy and grace. He's described here as nothing but mercy and grace. God is not easily angered. He's rich in love. He doesn't endlessly nag and scold. He doesn't hold grudges forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins absolutely deserve, nor does he pay us back in full for our wrongs. As high as the heaven over the earth, so strong is his love to those who fear him and understand that he is God and we are not. And as far as the sunrise is from the sunset, he has separated us from our sins. We have been divorced from our sins. We are no longer tied to what they said that we were. We have a new identity. We are in Christ. So there's two groups of people in this room that I want to talk to. The first ones are those in here going, I don't know if that sermon was for anybody else, but David, it was for me. See, the Holy Spirit loves doing these kind of things. So what I'm going to ask is in this little moment, we're just family. And let's just be real for a second. Let's take off the church face. How many of you all need peace this morning in your life? Just look around. Look around. Keep your hands up. It's cool. I'm raising my hand saying me. Look around. What I want to do really quickly is for those of you who raised your hands, would you just stand? I'm not going to make you do anything weird. I just want to pray for you. Is that okay? For those of you who raised your hand saying, I need peace this morning, I want to pray for you. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you. And Lord, every single person that is standing is saying, I need that. I need peace. I need Irene in my life again. I need to be made whole. I need to be made new. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we would not gauge our peace on feeling, but on fact today. And the fact is, Jesus, you said you came to bring it. And you fought for our peace. You warred so that we could have a peace treaty with God. And I pray that you would bring peace back to the minds of those minds that are all over the place. They're running a thousand miles an hour. I pray for peace over those who are busy. I pray, Lord, that you would help them understand margin and that they're not going to find the approval that they're looking for through being busy. They don't have to be a martyr. I pray for those who are struggling with shame and regret and the enemy is telling them things and showing them the highlight reel of all their mistakes. But I pray, Lord, that what they would begin to see is the cross standing and it's empty and that the tomb is empty and that you came to, to restore life unto death. You came, Lord Jesus, to give us peace even though while we were still enemies, yes, you have declared us innocent because of what you've done, Jesus. Restore to us freedom and life and peace that you say that you have given us as a gift. We ask for this gift back in Jesus' name. The other group is maybe you thought that having peace with God is just being moral or coming to this room, which is great. We're so happy you're here. But coming into a room and even agreeing with what I've said today 
doesn't satisfy the issue that you're still an enemy of God. But you've never, maybe you've never crossed enemy lines to make peace with God through Jesus. And so what I would ask you is this. When we're done here, here in a moment after we take communion, we're going to observe communion because that is for our time to remember what Jesus has done for us. He's done a lot for us and he wants to do a lot for you. And he wants to give you the same thing that we're singing about and talking about today. I asked you earlier, what side of Romans 5 are you on? Are you an enemy of God or a friend of God? And only you know that answer. And if you don't know for sure, don't leave out of the building without figuring that out or at least starting a conversation with someone about what that can mean. And so we have the Mendels and a couple of others who are going to be up here off to the side. We will stay as long as you want to talk about this decision. And that's the only thing that gives me any reason to stand up here and say what I'm saying is because I realized my need for him. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you that you came to bring peace on earth, not through being passive, but by warring against the very thing that made us enemies of you. Thank you for satisfying justice. Thank you for giving us a new hope and a new life and a reason to celebrate Christmas. In Jesus' name.